Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome to Macabre Emporium. This is episode 19. Yes. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. Welcome. So we watched Megan this morning, Mm -hmm. uh, this afternoon rather, and that was quite interesting. Yeah. Commercials definitely made it seem very stupid. Yeah. It was was pretty good though. But once you watch it, it's a lot better than it was. Then you realize it's made by the same people that made... uh, the Purge movies. Uh-huh. And what else? Because their little opener for that studio had like all their movies in it. And there's yeah. one other one that I recognize, but I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's from Bloomhouse. Yeah. But yeah. Those guys. Yep. It was a good movie. If you have a chance to watch yeah. it, watch it. I Like she said, the trailers make it look stupid. Give it a shot. If you have Peacock, it's on there. It's not going to cost you anything extra. If you have yeah. Xfinity, you have Peacock for free. Yep. So... What do you got to lose other than your time? And if you don't like it, you can just turn it off. Yas. And then one of those stupid Ranker.com articles can come up as this movie's so scary that people turn it off halfway through. No, because it's boring <laughs> as shit. That's why people are turning it off. But the, this wasn't boring. This was All quite right. quite interesting. Still, don't mm-hmm. like don't like dolls. Right. <laughs> and I, I took it more of a, like a newer adaptation of, I guess you could say, child's play for the most part. The killer, kind of. the killer toy, but more advanced with being up to times with technology, with AI yeah. advancements and robotics. Yeah. Is what they're basically doing. It's not a serial killer trapped inside of it like in Child's Play was. Yep. But anyhow. So <clears throat> what are you talking about this week, Sarah? I am going to be talking about a haunted library. No, shocker. A haunt- you talking about a haunted library. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it just was kind of funny how, um, you had asked me from the kitchen, like, what are you doing this week? I was like, paranormal. You're like, oh, I was also looking at paranormal. So we're, it's the fucking paranormal episode. Yeah. What are you doing? I'm doing, I don't know. Let's see. Paranormal. But. (gasps) What? But. It's also kind of true crimey. Oh. You ever heard of the Ackley House? Nope. Well, you're going to find out about that. The Eckley? Yeah, the Eckley House. A-C-K-L-E-Y. Okay. It is the only legal haunted house in the United States. No, sir. Haven't heard about it. Want to. (laughs) Well, all right. Let's get started then. The library that I am talking about is the Willard Library in Evansville, Indiana. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to start you with some history. Well, that's not on turn. Sarah giving me history. Well, background into the library. I know. Yeah. The Willard Library is the oldest working private donation library in Indiana. Willard Carpenter, also known as the pioneer of public charity, was the original owner and donated the land for the property. Willard had established a trust fund in 1867, stating that he was choosing to establish and endow a public library with that money. 
He did so in hopes of it becoming an institution that would be used toward the improvement of moral and intellectual culture for the people of Evansville. Willard was an agent for the Underground Railroad prior to the Civil War. He had incorporated his concerns about the rights of African Americans into his rule that the library, and this is quoted, be maintained for the free use of all persons who desire to consult it. This is why it was later donned a public library. Because, you know, all of public, not just the white people of public. Um, In its time, it was really shocking. um, Basically a social experiment for the later half of, like, the 19th century. Okay. Well, if I remember correctly, Indiana was a union state, so it kind of does also make sense. Mm, Okay. Willard would finance the construction of the library, which started in 1876 at First Avenue and Pennsylvania Streets in the middle of Willard Carpenter's Field, which had at one point been the backdrop for circuses. Hmm. That's where they would, you know, set up their little wagons and tents and whatever. A bad economy had forced the construction of the library to stop in 1877. The foundation of the building had laid there for five years without being touched. In 1882, construction commenced yet again, and Carpenter vowed he would supervise the building for the rest of his life. He worked side by side with the architects, hired all of the workers himself, and made sure that only the absolute best materials were used. And there would be a formal opening for the library held on March 28, 1885. Inside, the ceilings were high and the windows large. They were as big as they were because of the lack of electricity back then. So they got most of their light, you know, from the sun. By night, they were hanging kerosene lamps in the windows uh, to give the light that, you know, they lost when the sun went down. Outside, the building had, like, the standard corner tower you see in Victorian buildings. Um, there was a rich color contrast on the roof, the roof, due to use of white stones and brick. There were gothic arches over the windows, and terracotta was used a lot for the exterior decoration. Uh, the decoration in the terracotta was mostly in the form of roses and owls, which were there because they were symbols of wisdom. So this place looks super fancy on the outside. Have you seen pictures of it? It's been so long since I have. I don't remember what it looks like. It's really pretty. The library is home to a large variety of genealogy and local history collections on its second floor. In August of 1976, the collections opened and included 50 state references, family histories done in book, microform, and manuscript, as well as loose paper formats. They had newspapers from, well, whatever the local newspaper is in Evansville. Okay. I didn't think to look up the name. Uh, But they have those newspapers all the way back from 1821 to present time. Church records, Catholic, Catholic diocese records, records on local cemeteries and funeral homes, numerous online databases... Uh, three large search engines, which is Heritage Quest, Genealogy Bank, and Ancestry Library. The library hosts an annual event called Midnight Madness, Madness. <laughs> Midnight Madness, where the library is open until midnight throughout the entire week for research purposes. For those yeah. that can't get there, you know, 
in the, the morning or whatever. Right. Genealogists and anyone else interested come from all over the world to research their family's history. As of 1972, the Willard Library was placed on the National Register of Historic Places. So it's definitely important. Yeah. I mean, first off, it's a library. Well, yeah, I mean, but with its, its colored history at this point. Yes. Yep. With the library holding so much history and ancient text, it's not very surprising that numerous people have come forward stating that the library is haunted. In fact, you can pretty much expect it to be. Right. Uh, being that, that old and, you know, <clears throat> who knows what all happened on the property. Right. It's like, oh, look at this old-timey Victorian building. There's definitely ghosts in there. Anytime I see a Victorian house or a Victorian-looking building, I'm like... There's some history in that motherfucker. Yep, there's a ghost in there. Because you know from, you know, my prior episode mm-hmm. of, you know, Victorians and their fascination with death, all of the people that died, died in their homes right. and then had funerals in the homes. That's a lot of trapped fucking energy. It all started long ago with a simple question. Is the Willard Library haunted? In order to get that question answered, the team behind the library decided to put up cameras in each of the rooms within the library and they chose to stream them online now i've told you this like me and my oldest sister would sit there and i don't even know how we found the link to watch these webcams we would sit there for hours and just watch them right hoping that we spotted something Something. You guys wanted to be the one that did it. <laughs> yeah, that you mentioned the webcam. I, I now remember that part of it. Mm-hmm. But um, some of the things I remember, like the people had done. Uh-huh. Like one of them sticks out my head. Somebody photoshopped SpongeBob in one of the fucking images. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. But there's, yeah, we used to watch it a lot. A lot. Um, But the, I mean... In the daylight, you can see the library on the webcams, obviously, right. and it's it's very pretty inside. Makes it look very big, the angle that they have the one oh, yeah. camera. Anyways. Do they even still have them? I'll get to all of that okay. stuff. I know. Stop jumping ahead, damn it. Yeah, stop. <laughs> but seeing as though my oldest sister and I used to watch it, and now we both live in Indiana, and I literally had just looked up a topic that I was planning to do. And then I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? Fuck it. Let's look up haunted libraries. Let's see if that library is still around. And it is. Right. Um, yeah. Still up and running. And cameras are still up as well. With the cameras on 24-7 and a whole lot of people watching them, things started to get interesting. Right. The website itself became a virtual ghost hunting mecca. You can take a virtual tour with the Willard Library director, Greg Hager, and see if you can find anything hidden or, you know, out of place that should not be there. Right. So I'm going to tell you, like, before we get into the actual hauntings and things that have been seen, um, the things that happen most often but are not seen. Like, they they just happen. The water being turned on and off is one that happens quite often. Feeling cold spots or feeling cold, like, envelop you, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, smelling strong perfume. Women's perfume. 
you know, like the things that go bump in the night, they hear noises all over the place, which that, eh, you know, you can chalk that up to it being an old ass building. With its probably balloon style construction with the wood expanding and contracting. And And yeah, the inside is a lot of wood. The staircase itself is, well, it's a Victorian staircase. It's pure, solid, solid wood and gorgeous. Uh, Books and furniture would be moved librarians would put them back where they belong and then they'd come back in the room when there's nobody else there and they'd be moved again um they'd find odd items throughout the library like shit that you know people wouldn't leave behind like um people have reported feeling their hair being touched and like yanked a little bit and then ladies a lot of women have reported that they're like ladies like dangly earrings Mm -hmm. that they could feel those being like tugged on as well now with the unseen out of the way we're going to get into the scene Ooh, spooky Ooh. okay so one of the most common things screen captured on those webcams is that of the gray lady or lady in gray they she's called both things she's most often seen in the children's reading reading room which is in the basement of the library creepy yeah, how fitting. <laughs> the gray lady was reported over 60 years ago. Obviously, that predates webcams and all that fun right. shit. An employee at the library had come to work after a treacherous walk in the cold to start his first shift. And it was night shift. Um, he saw her not long after he arrived. However, this was not the first time that she was seen. The first time she was seen was by a custodian in the library in 1937. That was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. The custodian was there doing his nightly cleaning routine and walking the building, making sure everything's, you know, up to par where it's supposed to be. This was around 3 (laughs) a.m. Uh-huh. That was Salem saying it was the witching hour, bitches. Right, of course. How appropriate. Salem, like, (laughs) chimes in on this episode. Yep. So, uh, he headed towards the furnace room, and he claimed to see a female ghost dressed in a glowing gray Victorian morning type of dress. Um, He stated that she had a veil on her head, Mm -hmm. also gray, which would kind of lead you to believe that she was in morning attire. Right. Well, and this was also before, like, color photography and films. Oh, yeah, she's going to be in black and white. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, he said he was taken aback and absolutely terrified. He dropped his flashlight and took off in a panicked run. Which, to be honest, I would probably do the same fucking thing. Like, I'll talk about paranormal and shit all day long, but I think if I ever came face to face with one, I'd either nope out by passing out or shit myself and run. One of those would happen before the other, I'm sure. I don't think you would. <laughs> I don't know. So when he finally got his wits about him again, he returned for the flashlight to check the area again. Gray lady was nowhere to be seen. Who would have thought? I I know. A ghost vanished. At this point, he's questioning himself like, what the fuck did I just see? (laughs) Which I would also do. Even if you can clearly tell what it is. Like, the fuck was that? Right. Uh, Yeah. When he returned the next day to start his shift, he decided he was done, and he quit right there on the spot. That was enough for him. One one and done for this guy. Since then, all of those that had sought her out, and even those that haven't, have reported spooky and unexplainable happenings within the library. 
In 2007, psychics visited the library, and they were able to verify that ghosts had been there. Ghosts, plural. Numerous paranormal teams had been there as well, with a plethora of equipment, and they also agreed that the library was haunted. <clears throat> I wonder if Zach Bagelbites ever went there. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> maybe he did before he, you know, had his television show, or maybe Taps possibly could have at some point. There's some drama going on right now. It's all over TikTok about his stupid ass. Who's um, Bagans or the Taps guys? Zach. Uh, Zach. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't have looked. to fill me in on that later. I haven't even looked into it, but it's it's all over the place. Anyways, several employees of the library have reported that they've seen the ghost of the Grey Lady. Um, there were lecturers from the University of Southern Indiana that visited, and they said that they saw the ghost looking into water. Like, they didn't say it was, like, in a tub, no, okay. a sink, anything. Just she was looking into water. Police have responded to security alarms going off and say that they saw two ghosts in the upstairs window. Two. Not one. Two. <laughs> the police did not mention the lady in gray. Just two ghosts. Well, it, two I'm ghosts, sure. one library. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Uh, there's this episode's name right fucking there. I already fucking know it. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that, but probably... <laughs> Anyways, what were you going to say? I'm going to say with the local police, they probably already know the stories of the Lady in Grey, so they're probably like, it's whatever. Yeah. It's probably just the Lady in Grey again, and then they're like, oh, <laughs> fuck, there's two more. Yes. Or the skeptic officer is like, oh, there's no such thing until he saw that. Probably. Um. So while there there are two that show up more often than others, Um. obviously one is the Lady in Grey. She's right. the most prominent one. But there's also a black mass that keeps being seen on the webcams. Hmm. I'll see. Now that was one thing I didn't know about the this library there. Yes. Margaret Meyer, a former employee of the library, said that the gray lady had seemingly been disrupted by construction on the building and had followed her home while the children's reading room was being renovated. Margaret and her sister both said that they could feel cold air touching them and that they could smell really strong women's perfume that neither of them had right owned or had on just like fuck this noise i'm out hey i'm coming home with you guys <laughs> right betty miller a former librarian stated that she had heard a heavy stream of water running upstairs on the second floor even though it was after closing and she knew that she was alone she got brave and went up to see what it was and was shocked to find the faucet in the bathroom had turned itself on itself Members of the Tri-State Genealogy Society claimed they experienced paranormal activity within the library. Two of the members, who happened to be working alone in the library, reported smelling a strong, pungent perfume while they were researching in the cemetery records area. That perfume. Right. I wonder if it smelled like mothball. No, probably not. No? Are you saying it was because she's like, it was supposed to be like an older lady? <laughs> yes. No, probably like lavender or some shit. Something very flowery, more than likely, mm -hmm. because of the time period and and lavender is very pungent. <clears throat> Old lady perfume smells basically is probably what comes to mind. Yeah, there was a normal library patron that had come in to do research and jumped in the elevator to head to the floor that they they needed to be on. 
So the elevator that was in the building at this time, I don't know if it's been upgraded to today's type of elevator, but it was like the old school wrought iron, you know, gates that you had to close and then you had to pull like basically a wall down before it would move. Right. Well, since it's being on the registry of national landmarks, more than likely it's probably not been updated. Oh, that's true. Because with those that they can't change its appearance. It has to stay the way that it's supposed to. Gotcha. Well, so, then maybe it's the same, the exact same. If I remember correctly, that's part of why the International Circus Hall of Fame had <clears throat> such a hard time with the windows and everything is because they had to be of an original appearance. Right. So windows that they needed were going to be quite expensive. Eek. Yeah. Yeah. I Okay. Maybe. Um... This patron that was there had no idea that the library was supposedly haunted. Mm-hmm. Um, but guess who popped in to ride in the elevator with him? SpongeBob, that N- I mentioned earlier. No, <laughs> who? The Grey Lady. Of course, the Grey Lady. Because my next guess would have been the Hat Man if that was wrong. <laughs> he said he was terrified and his fight or flight kicked in, but where the fuck are you going to fly to yeah, when you're trapped you're in an elevator? A five foot five box. <laughs> Rod iron cage, basically. Where are you going to fucking go? Like, there is nowhere to fly to. I mean, you can keep running from corner to corner, but that's only going to get you so right? far. It's like, <laughs> Alexa, play Scooby-Doo chase music. Oh my god, the fucking Monty Python. Or Benny Hill, yeah, Kitty Sacks, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Benny Hill, is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Wasn't Monty Python? Nope, Benny okay. Hill, yeah, Kitty Sacks is what that is. You know that's what I'm... Do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, who is the Grey Lady? Do you know? No. Nope. Oh. Well, me neither. That's the end of the story. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right, see you. Bye, guys. Thanks. <laughs> okay, bye. Uh, some people believe that the Grey Lady is the spirit of Louise Carpenter, who was the daughter, one of the daughters of Willard. Willard died on November 3rd, 1883, of a massive stroke. And it is very well known that Carpenter had extremely strained relationships with all three of his kids. So there was Louise, Marcia was her sister, and then their brother Albert. Um, Willard had written in his will that Louise and her husband would receive nothing from his estate. And that included any rights to the library, anything. Instead, the majority of his finances went towards his businesses as well as the library. Louise had sued the library in the 1890s over money she felt she was owed to by her father. The case was lost. She even went as far as going through the appeal process only to lose the court case again and walk away empty-handed. This, of course, caused upset, and Louise never got over it. They say Louise is the one haunting the building now because she's, like, trying to lay her claim on that property. Oh, that's kind of an interesting take on that. Uh Uh-huh. That's, like, the most petty ghost ever. Well, (laughs) if you didn't leave me shit, I'm going to haunt your built, you know, prize construction forever. She felt that that should have, you know, been handed down to her, but, you know. How are you going to have something handed down to you that was built for everybody? Correct. Which is why she lost her cases. She's bitter. Um, There was a a parapsychologist, Lucille Warren, that visited the library in 1985 and saw the Grey Lady. 
During this encounter, she was again seen looking into a pool of water. Lucille felt the connection um, of her looking into water was not like her looking into a sink or a bathtub mm-hmm. or whatever. She feels that she actually drowned in the canal that is very close to that property. Okay. And that she wasn't haunting the library in particular, but instead she was haunting the land the library was built on. Okay. Which it makes sense. Um, but yeah, she had a feeling that she was drowned in the canal, more than likely suicide. Whatever scenario it is, or... If it's not one of those two and it's something completely different, um, the gray lady was never menacing or gave off bad feelings to anybody. You know, she it's a ghost. They're going to scare the shit out of you. Right. She was always just kind of there, never bothered anybody unless they saw her, of course. Then they, you know, panic would take over and made it worse. Right. So she wouldn't change form when some guy says, get her, Ray. Correct. Didn't even catch that. I did. It was a Ghostbuster reference. However, that thunk <laughs> was Salem's head on the table. <laughs> Which is weird that he's going to be that he wants this much attention from us when doing a paranormal episode. Correct. Um, and with that being said, like she there was no bad feelings or, you know, she didn't come off as menacing or anything. Mm-hmm. Um you would think if it was Louise that she being as like jaded and bitter about the situation with her not getting the money from her father's estate. Right. She'd be doing shit to like harm or terrify. But here this, this gray lady is just existing, you know, whoever it is, she's still there. She's still roaming Mm -hmm. and she's, that's her own. Whether she, she knows it's a library or not. Um, one thing that I had forgotten to mention is that, uh, it seems that the gray lady didn't just stick to like normal routines that you, you know, a typical, I guess, right. ghost would do. Cause you know, they'll stick to the room or whatever that. Right. Like they've always said that it's like a playback. Yes. Of, a, of their past lives yes. for the most part. Okay. Gray lady didn't do that. She didn't stick to routine. She's been seen everywhere in the library, each room, the stairs, the elevator. She doesn't shy away from construction areas or expansions that have happened. Well, when you're a free roaming vapor, you get to do what you want. Ghostbusters reference number two. (laughs) She's been seen there, too, like in the newly renovated, like new attachment to the building. Right. So. Um. Those areas weren't there when she was alive and kicking. So, you know. So she's just wandering. Fu- she's a fucking roamer. This one, right? She don't. She's no no routine. Like she's constantly in all other rooms, just hanging out. She doesn't just come out at night either. Like she's been spotted all times of day and night. Hmm. So unlike the typical ghost shit that you hear, um. She was she was different. So now we're gonna get into some fun fun facts. Oh, little tiddly bits. Now, I was wondering <laughs> if they're not tiddly bits this week or fun facts or they're anything. Both. Okay, so I did go in and look at the website and they still have all the cameras up to watch. Okay. They have also added more cameras. Cause it was like three, I think. I don't remember. 
it it was three. They had the children's reading room, like the main part of the library with all the <clears throat> the rows of tables and chairs, right. and then um, a hallway. Those that's all they had. But now they have six. Well, yeah, they had to expand the building, so they're and add more apparently. Yep. So, <clears throat> and they're probably still better quality than the banks. <laughs> Uh, probably. So yeah, six, they have them set up in her most commonly seen spots, which is fucking everywhere. Right. Oh. So, yeah. Huh? Her most commonly seen spots is just an entire fucking building, so how do you narrow that down? <laughs> right. right. So they have one in the view, um, they have one in the children's room, one in the basement hall, one in the research room, one in the stairway, one in the children's story room and one in the adult services room on the first floor. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was, I looked at them earlier and they're all still working and yeah, you could still see them. Kind of made me happy because I was, I spent a lot of time on that website. Right. God. Um, <clears throat> in October of each year, the library holds a ghost tour. The first tour happened in 1990 for 800 lucky people. The event was such a hit that it continued on to become an annual event that you could plan to attend. Um, they have a library, or sorry, a calendar of events for the library mm-hmm. online <clears throat> on their website. And you can look like closer it gets to October because um, they still do them. It's every year now. Um, so, yeah, you can look and see when it's happening, possibly go. Uh, library is still open every single day of the week. Most libraries that I've ever been to are always closed on either Monday or Sunday. Right. This is open every day. Um, and open for visitors. Even if you don't live in the area, they still let you come in, browse. Right. Because, I mean, I don't know if, like, of any library, like, if you, like, being out of town or you come in, you look at a book, you put it back, you know, they're going to be like, hey, you don't live here, put that back, get out. Well, get yeah, get, obviously, you know. but. But obviously trying to check something out, that's not going to work, obviously. Correct. But yeah, that's my. I don't know, maybe we should add that on our list of dark tour oh, spots, yes. maybe. Agreed. Seeing as we've been the one and we need to probably go do some more <clears throat> at some point. Yeah, one one place I would really love to go to, I was looking at it earlier, actually, is the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in California. Mm-hmm. I think I've said that before. Uh, probably. That's one place I really, really would love to go. And Anne Rice's uh, mausoleum right. in New Orleans. Would love, love to go there. Anyways, that's the end of mine. All right. Yay. Great Yay. lady. But yeah, go look at the website and watch the webcams. And if you spot anything fun, screenshot it, and you can actually uh, submit those to the library's website. Right, and that's where I remember from the old submissions was like the the librarian from the Ghostbusters got photoshopped yeah. in. <laughs> yes. Somebody like photoshopped, I think SpongeBob because he was like the hot new thing at the time. Uh huh. Just a lot of stupid Photoshop jobs people did, uh-huh. but, but they still post them up there anyway. And yep. then there were some screenshots of smudges things from what I can remember but yep. like I said it was so long ago when I yeah. looked at that website so yeah I was like early 
early 20s, I want to say, when we were watching that. Yeah. It was a long time ago. So we're probably looking at like 720p cameras being like the hot new fucking thing or... But yeah, that was that was my whole my whole thing. And I if we ever make it down that way, I know it's a lot way further south than we ever travel. Right. But if we ever find ourselves in that area, I wanna go to the library. Well, I'm sure if it's not too far out of the way. Well, obviously. So I said if we ever find ourselves that way. But yeah. What you talking about, Willis? So even though I've already made two Ghostbuster references. Uh Uh-huh. And I was sure, you sh- and you should be proud that there's only two that I made. In my story, how many are in yours? Actually, one, because <laughs> it was known as the Ghostbuster ruling. Okay. So, yeah. Actually, no, two, because of a quote. But anyhow. <laughs> so, technically, I'm not making them, so zero for me. Well. For the most part. Correct. Okay. Let's... So, Let's hear about this. So you ready to hear about the Ackley House? Ackley House. The only legally haunted house in the United States? Yes. All right. For most of us, when we think of tales of true crime, there are stories and cases of murders. Sometimes it can be bank robbers like Blackbird. Sarah, that went over last week. But for my portion of this episode, I'm going to go... For two birds with one stone, true crime and paranormal. Oh, fucking double whammy. Okay. So, on the banks of the Hudson River of Nyack, New York, sits a beautiful six-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath Victorian home constructed in 1890. One La Vida place is coincidentally painted in light blue, which is also known as haint blue in in the southern United States, which I will get into later towards the end about that. What did you say? Haint? Haint blue. So take okay. ain't, put an H in front of it, and it, it's a haint. Which makes this home so special, besides it being a well-kept Victorian home, is that it's America's only legally haunted house. Now, I don't mean haunted house as in for entertainment as I covered in our Halloween episode. Uh-huh. I mean actually a haunted house as in bumps in the night, full body apparition type ghosts or free roaming vapors type ghosts. Ooh, free roaming vapors. There, you got one Ghostbusters thing out of me. <laughs> <laughs> in 1967, Helen and George Ackley would move into the 4,000 square foot home with their four children, Cynthia, George, Kara, and William. Between 1960 and 1967, before the Ackleys purchased the home, the house sat vacant, but I could not find a reason why as to it sat vacant, probably because of how big this house is. Okay, yeah. But it was also described to be run down as well, so that can be also a huge reason to why it sat empty for so long, because who wants to dump a bunch of money into a money pit house like that? Yeah. In the first few weeks, Helen spent her time alone at the house to get things in order before the family would finally move in. In these first few weeks, some of the neighborhood children that were nearby playing some type of ball game, didn't specify what, but Mm -hmm. it it came up multiple times, would stop their game and come ask Helen some questions about, you know, did you buy the house? Do you have kids? She would reply to these children, yes, I have kids. They'll be joining me in a few weeks and I own the house. She would also invite these kids to come in and look at the empty house. Some of these kids giggled as two of them hung hung back from the others and would ask Helen if she knew that she just bought a haunted house. Like, so the kids knew, but she yeah, wasn't told upon yeah, buying the house. Because it was re- like in some of the sources said that these kids would see faces in the windows. Oh, damn. Okay. 
Later that same day, a plumber from the area was hired by the Ackleys to come look at the plumbing of the house to see what any possible repairs needed to be done, and he would become, would become concerned for Helen's safety being there alone as he told her he kept continuously hearing footsteps running up and down the stairs at least six times while he was there in the house. Damn. Already hearing about the ghost from the kids that questioned her earlier outside, she tells them not to worry and she might as well get used to it since she's going to be there alone. Later that night, Helen and her husband George are turning in for the night. She noticed the hallway light was still left on and she found it weird that George would request the light to be left on. Mm -hmm. So when she asked him why since when did you start sleeping with a light on he said since the first night we moved in here and i don't want to discuss it good night oh yeah okay there's no information you can find about any reason of why he wanted this light left on that was it must have been a good one yeah the Ackley family would spend the next 20 years in this house and wouldn't counter anything malicious helen would recall most of the activity would be french doors in the home opening on their own along with windows opening along on their own as, as well. Also, the light over their dining room table would start suddenly swinging on a windless days and then suddenly stop as it started. Huh. So, you know, your regular poltergeist type of activities for the most part. Not a poltergeist this time. Not a poltergeist this time. <laughs> we still need to watch that. Yeah. George would travel frequently, and this would leave Helen alone at the house mm-hmm. with the children. And one of Helen's experiences would come one winter night while looking out a window facing the Hudson River. As she stood there, she said she would feel a cold presence very close to her and every hair on the back of her neck would stand up. She would say out loud, it's beautiful on the river, isn't it? And as she would say this, she could feel the hair on the back of her neck starting to lay back down. And after a few more minutes, she would turn to leave and feel this cold presence following her down the hallway. And then she would say out loud again to the... This Spirit, she's uh-huh. assuming that's what's going on. Thank you for sharing the view with me. I'm going to bed now. Good night. And Helen would go on to say that she didn't feel this presence walking down the hallway with her anymore. Okay. One of Helen's other experiences came when she was painting the living room and the only time she actually saw one of the spirits. While she was on top of an eight-foot ladder, she would say that she could feel what like would be eyes watching her. Okay. But it wasn't like an unfamiliar feeling to her at this point. And as she painted, she would stop and say, I hope you like this color. I hope you are pleased with what we are doing to this house. It certainly must have been lovely when it was first built. She would describe this entity that she would see the manifest himself as. She described uh, with that he was smiling with his hands clasped around his crossed knees, nodding and smiling in approval, wearing an immaculate light blue suit and a cap with a white fruffle stock at his throat, a white hose, and shiny black pumps with buckles, with piercing blue eyes, an apple-cheeked face, and thick white eyebrows. Okay. So, like, colonial-time yeah. wealthy person yeah. for the most part. Helen's daughter, Cynthia, would see on three occasions a hooded figure, but was quite sure that it was a woman. Then, like, all their experiences was nothing malicious. She just okay. described her as a hooded figure for the most part. But Cynthia would almost daily be woken up by her bed being shaken lightly, as her parents would do to wake us up for school for yeah. the day. And this was the same reason why it was happening to her. Is so this spirit in the house was waking her up every day so she wouldn't be late for school. 
And uh, Cynthia would also recall one time during her spring break that the ghost would try to wake her up for school, and she spoke out loud telling them, I don't have school the next morning, and I want to sleep in. The next morning, she wasn't woken up by the shaking. Huh. Helen would also say that her children would receive gifts from the ghost. Cynthia would receive tiny silver sugar tongs when she would marry a man by the name of Mark Cavanaugh. Mark Cavanaugh also would have experiences in this house as well, too. The first happened on Christmas Eve. I was home alone due to various activities. I was playing Christmas self in the living room, putting gifts together. It was totally quiet in the house. After a while, I kept hearing a muffled conversation coming from the dining room around the wall. I would get up and walk over and nobody was there. I felt like I was being watched. I had purposely turned on every light in the surrounding rooms. I was getting nervous. Then my future brother-in-law suddenly pounded on the door, making me jump out of my skin and the talking stopped. And then his second incident happened. It happened in our bedroom on the third floor. It was a clear, dark night. Sin, as he would call Cynthia, had already fallen asleep and I was drifting. Then I heard the bedroom door creak and the floorboards squeak. My back was to the edge of the bed, suddenly the edge of the bed by my midsection depressed down and I felt someone lean against me. I went literally stone stiff. I was speechless and I could hardly move. I was able to twist my neck around enough to see a womanly figure in a soft dress through the moonlight from the bay windows. It felt like she was looking straight at me. After about a minute, the presence got up and walked back out of the room. I finally relaxed enough to shake my wife out of a sound sleep acting like a toddler who just had a nightmare. Later, I reflected on this incident. I believe the ghosts were checking me out because they knew my wife and her ex-husband they probably wanted to see if I was a quote-unquote good person for her. Mm. It was that the woman used to shake Sin's bed every morning to go to school, to go to high school. After that episode, no other sightings occurred. I did get the impression that they did approve of me and my wife, and I were married about 18 months later. Mm. So that was one of the non-family members experiences of the house other than the kid, neighborhood kids okay. and the plumbers like even the neighbors at times would hear voices from inside the house knowing that nobody was home damn helen would actually go on to write an article that was published in reader's digest named our haunted house on the hudson after this article was published the ackley's home would become would start showing up on local ghost box and become a popular topic around town as well and this is where a lot of the experiences came from more of depth detail than where I can find like your cut and dry sources. Okay. In 1989, George would unfortunately pass away. And along with the property taxes that were starting to get out of control in the area, Helen wouldn't make the choice to sell her beloved Victorian home and move to Florida. Aww. With a soft real estate market at the time, the house would be on the market until 1991 when a Wall Street trader by the name of Jeffrey Stamboski and his wife Patrice wanted to move out of New York City to Nyack. They would put down about $32,500 of the $650,000 asking price, which, of course, this came out to be over $1.3 million today for the asking price for the house and $69,612 was what they would put down if they were trying to buy this house today. Damn. Some of the sources claim that Helmton 
Some of the sources claim that Helen's realtor did inform the Stamboskis that the house was haunted, and some sources said that it didn't. So I'm going, of course, put both versions of it in here. Mm -hmm. One source would claim that Helen's realtor did disclose that the house was haunted, and Jeff would laugh and say, well, we'll have to call in the Ghostbusters then. Where another would claim that Jeff had no idea that the house was haunted until a local resident informed him that it was when he was speaking to, to them about the property. A week after contracts for the sale were signed, Stamboski would request to meet Helen in person on the property to discuss the ghosts. Helen would passionately speak about the hauntings and the ghosts that resided in the house. After learning about these ghosts in the house, Jeff would request a recession, recession, R-E-E-S-C-I-S-S-I-O-N. A recession? Yeah, it's yeah, base. It's a legal term for canceling out contracts. Okay. He would request this for the contract, the sale, and damages for fraudulent misrepresentation by Helen and her realtor. Even though Jeff didn't seem too disturbed by these tales of the ghost, as, you know, with his joke, you don't make jokes like that if you're, like, scared of ghosts for the most part. It was more likely that it was his wife that didn't want to live in this alleged haunted house. So when it came down to them finally closing in out, out on the house or the rescission of this canceling of the contract jeff stamboski didn't attend the closing which caused him to forfeit the down payment of this house and uh, the new york supreme court would dismiss the action and stamboski would later later would put in an appeal for this Mm -hmm. during the appeal the new york supreme court would rule in favor of the stamboski standing as they were not local to the area and could not readily readily learn that the home had he contracted to be purchased to be haunted justice israel rubin would go on to say during this appeal process a very practical problem arises with respect to the discovery of a paranormal phenomenon who are you going to call as the title to the song ghostbusters asks applying the strict rule of caveat emptor to a contract involving a house possessed by poltergeist conjures up visions of a psychic or medium routinely accompanying the structural engineers Terminix man on an inspection of every home subject to contract a sale. In the interest of avoiding such unattainable consequences, the notion that a haunted haunting is a condition that can and should be ascertained upon reasonable inspection of the premises is a hobgoblin that should be exercised from the body of legal president and laid quietly to rest. So in plain English, he pretty much is saying that it seems a bit silly to have Zach Bagel bites as he is known for another fa- favorite podcast of ours that we have adopted on ours now to accompany home inspectors and exterminators on the uh, inspection process during the sales. Okay. That's what he's basically saying. As this Tamboski versus Ackley case would become national news and become, and this would also become known as the Ghostbuster ruling. Helen would have up to 50 potential buyers within a week of this court's decision. One of the prospective buyers was the amazing Kreskin, a renowned mentalist, which is a performer of highly developed mental abilities like telepathy, okay. rapid mathematics, mind control, mediumship, etc. He wanted to buy this house to, to store his collection of, paranor- of paranormal objects, but she would sell this house in 1991 for $1.9 million, $2.1 million today, and then move to Florida. So, who was it that bought the house from Helen? A man by the name of Adam Brooks who wrote and directed the film Definitely Maybe. 
he even even though he never experienced in the, anything in the house himself. Also, pop singer Ingrid Michaelson is which is best known for the song "The Way I Am." You've heard it. If I played it, you'll you're like, "Oh yeah, I've heard this song." Because okay. that's what I was curious on that, so I listened to it. It's like once I heard it, like, "Oh okay, I know this. I've heard this song." She would say that it was a magical home with an unbeatable view, which we both probably could agree when I showed you the images mm-hmm. on Google Maps today yep. before we recorded this. Yep. Rapper Matsuyahu, going with it, would also own the Ackley House as well, but didn't have any experience of activity himself. The last time this house went up for sale in 2021, and it sold for $1.8 million. That's a good chunk of money. Yeah. In 1993, Helen was contacted by paranormal researcher Bill Merle and medium Glenn Johnson, who would disclose to Helen that they made contact with the spirits of one Levita place in Nyack, New York. They would go on to tell Helen the poltergeist couple was more than likely Sir George and Lady Margaret, who lived in the region during the 18th century. Sir George, who is Helen more than likely saw while she was painting, Bill and Glenn would have published a book in 1995 titled Sir George and the Ghost of Nyack and the book is obviously about the events that happened in the house. Mm-hmm. Helen actually passed away in 2003 and her son-in-law would place his odds that she returned to one Levita place in the afterlife as it was her favorite home. Aww. So, so with all that, because of this ruling in the state of New York, you have to disclose if a house is haunted or not. Okay. If it's if it's a known haunted house, you have to disclose that it's haunted. So every once in a while, you'll see these images pop up of like Remax Realtor signs, mm-hmm. and you'll see the little banner like where it would be like nine thousand square feet or in ground pool or some shit as yeah. a selling point. It would be not haunted. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And when I was like <clears throat> looking up images for one of these signs, there you, you can find them in Cal. There's like one in New Orleans that's popped up, and I think there was one in Georgia that's popped up as well. Two of the most haunted cities in right. the U.S. So <clears throat> now, at the beginning of this, I had mentioned a color shade of paint blue. Mm-hmm. In Gullah culture, the Southern United States, haints are a witch-like creatures seeking. To chase their victims to their deaths by exhaustion. Oh. In Gullah culture, a tactic to ward off these evil creatures would be painting their ceiling of their porch or their entire house in hate in blue, but it would become known as hate blue to trick them into passing through or make your house look like water, which haints cannot cross. Oh. So the paint, the painting of paint blue is commonly found in Georgia and Southern Carolina and Gill communities today. Huh. So I'm not wondering if somebody, one of the previous owners, because some of the older pictures that come up of this house, it's red. And the more oh. recent pictures, it's this light robin egg type blue, which is also mm-hmm. known as this paint blue color. Hmm. That's interesting. So I'm not wondering if somebody heard this and been like, oh, that's it. let's paint it blue for the most part. But if you were curious to see this house for yourself in person, um, I would probably advise against doing that because the current owners, they're not thrilled too much of dark tourists coming around 
take a look at their house. If you want to see the house, get on Google Images is your best bet. Yeah. Plus, it's on a very narrow one-way street from what Street View showed. But that's a, that's the actual house of Nyack, New York. Which that's interesting. I've really never heard of that. Yeah. Which, it's actually right across from Sleepy Hollow, New York. Which is also a bucket list place to visit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Halloween, Halloween time, spook yeah. time. That was very interesting. Yeah. I never knew about Haint Blue or any of that. Yeah. So maybe now that I come to think about it, maybe it's not really a true crime thing. I kind of thought mm-hmm. that could be one because of all the legal proceedings having to do with this being mm-hmm. somebody trying to get their money back over they saying that they were misled and buying this house yeah. or whatever. Yeah. That was That was really well done. Yeah, considering the amount of time that I bang this fucking one out. Yeah, that was very <laughs> quick. I was fucking impressed. <laughs> You're like, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna do it, and then all of a sudden you flip your chair around and you pull your headset off. And you're like, done. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. Now, if only it could happen that way every time. Right. It doesn't happen yeah, so that much way. Time freed up for activities. <laughs> I wish I could say the same. Yeah, I know. But anyhow. Yeah. Yes. I don't know what else to say. I don't either. So, that said... Calgon, take me away. Wow, throwback there. (laughs) I know. Did they even make that still? I do not believe so. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm starting to think it's time we close the Emporium up for the day, sir. What do you think? I agree. So, until next time... Remember to creep it real. All right, bye. Bye. Please check out our website at macabreemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. And if you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime, or weird history that you would want us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. Remember to follow, rate, like, review, and share whenever and wherever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast. And then his second incident happened in one of the... He had two different experiences for the most part in this house. So the second one was it happened in our bedroom on the third floor. It was a clear, dark night. <laughs> Orangey popped in my head as soon as I fucking said that, and I was trying not to fucking go any farther. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start this whole fucking thing, this whole fucking second experience over. <laughs> I wondered what that goofy-ass look was for. I was almost expecting you to fucking do something. <laughs>